you could ask Jesus one question, what would you ask him? If you could ask Jesus one direct question, knowing he'd give you a direct response, what would you ask him? You can lean over to the person you're sitting with and say it. You can be online and type it in. We'd love to hear that. And I think when I brought this up, I was thinking about the, the hard question series and that whole idea of how did the world begin? And I have some big questions about the beginning. You know, is the earth millions of years old or is it thousands of years old? Jesus, what happened? Do we have dinosaurs? And what was the whole purpose of dinosaurs? Was it just to be the, the best element of uh, elementary school? Or is there actually some fossil fuel point? What's the point? Was it a literal seven days or was it a poetic seven days? Why did you do what you did at the beginning? Maybe some of your minds go immediately to the end. Jesus, real talk, when are you coming back? My condo's not very nice. Are we talking literal mansions in heaven or just kind of figurative mansions? What's it gonna be like? You say there's no sin, so what kind of stories do we get? Are the same things we would watch on Netflix or it's super different? Now these are interesting, the beginning and the end, but then you start thinking about, well, what about the right now? What matters today? God, why did my good friend die so young? God, why are relationships so hard? Why is there all this evil and this suffering in the world? Jesus, what was it like when you died on the cross? My daughter, she thought, oh, none of this stuff. I'll give you a real hard question. Jesus, what's your favorite color? We thought it was probably yellow or white at the dining room table. We don't know for sure. The book of Luke is fairly long. To the best of my knowledge, there is only one time in the entire book where the disciples look at Jesus and ask a direct question, and Jesus responds with a direct answer. In the spirit of prayer that we've already been having um, for so much of this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand up and read what might be the most famous passage in all of Scripture. Why don't you stand with me? I'll give you a very um, uh, obvious cue as to when you are to read with me. A disciple walks up to Jesus and says, teacher, Teach us how to pray. Jesus responds, Our Father in heaven, Lord in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Let's continue in prayer. Father, thank you for this passage. Outside of Christmas and Easter, this might be one of the most famous passages to preach on in all of scripture. And many people here have already heard plenty of sermons on it. And so God, whether we're hearing a sermon on the Lord's Prayer for the first time or for the 20th time, may your Holy Spirit say to us what we need to hear this morning. God, we pray that my words would fall down so that your words would be lifted up so that your spirit might do wonderful things in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 11, Luke 11. If you're brand new to church, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. The Bible can be a little bit difficult to navigate from time to time. Thankfully, there's a table of contents. At the beginning of the table of contents, you'll see uh, the book of Luke, which is in the New Testament, meaning it happened after the birth of Jesus. The big numbers are the chapter numbers, small numbers are the verse numbers. As you're flipping there, um, here's a little bit of what's taking place. There's only two of the four gospels that have the birth narrative. And in chapters 
chapters one to nine, Luke being one of those gospels is saying, here's who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit came into Mary and we have uh, the son of God walking among us, fully God, fully man. We see him baptized. We see him dedicated at the temple. We see him having incredible temptation in the desert. And over these first nine chapters, over and over again, we begin to see what the kingdom of God is all about. Then in Luke 9, verse 51, there's a thematic shift, a big change that takes place. And no longer is it about who is Jesus. It's more now about how do we follow Jesus? What does that look like? What does that mean? Immediately, we hear about the cost of discipleship. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it is going to be really difficult. We arrive in chapter 10 and Jesus sends out his disciples two by two. Last week, we looked at the parable of the good Samaritan. And there's these big ideas that are happening. None of this is gonna be possible without prayer. I'm not sure about you, but I'm an introvert. This stuff doesn't come naturally to me. I don't naturally share the gospel. I don't naturally love my neighbor. I don't naturally go and spend lots of time with people. It's going to take prayer to make that happen. This is Luke chapter 11, one to four. If you enjoy following along word for word, I preach from the English Standard Version. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. If you enjoy taking notes, this is an example prayer. Now, maybe you hear what I just read and maybe you are reading from the ESV. Maybe you're reading from a different translation and you immediately think, that's not what we prayed, Dave, just two minutes ago. This prayer is radically different. What is going on? A couple of things that might be helpful. One, Matthew and Luke each have copies of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew's version, it's a little bit longer. It's in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapter six. Here we have the Luke version. We believe that it's the first time it was brought up, um, but it's not as long and as fleshed out as Matthew's version. Second thing, Many of you have memorized this. You memorized it in the King James Version or maybe the New International Version. And so it's a little bit different. It doesn't use the same words, but those ideas, the the sin, the debt, the trespasses, all have the same idea. Finally, if you grew up in a church like mine, you added, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And it's not there. And it's not there in Matthew's version either. It was actually added, most people think, in the first or second century to add a little bit of liturgy to what's taking place. It just sounds like a better ending to the Lord's Prayer. Now for the passage at hand. While Jesus is unique in the sense that he is the very son of God, he's not unique in that he's giving his disciples a prayer to pray. You can see right there in um, uh, 11 verse one that they come up to Jesus and say, well, like John's disciples, can you give us something to pray? So it was totally normal for rabbis to kind of know that you followed a particular teacher, a particular rabbi, because they gave you a prayer to pray. And that when you prayed it, there was a sense of community, a sense of togetherness, a sense of this is our specific rabbi. It strengthened your community together. But what Jesus does here is something even better. The Lord's prayer isn't just a prayer to be recited, but a paradigm to be followed. It's not just a prayer that we say all by itself, but there's a paradigm here to be followed as well. The fact that we have two versions of this prayer actually prove the point. If you were to have Matthew 6 open beside Luke 11, they're not word for word the same, but the ideas are the same. 
Last week, I said it um, I said it during this Luke series last year. I've said it regular over and over again. We worship a holistic God. This isn't a God who just cares solely about your soul. This is a God who cares about your physical um, body. He cares about your spiritual heart. He cares about the relationships that you have. And as we go through these six lines of the Lord's Prayer, we see all of these fleshed out. So let's break it down. The Father is about an intimate relationship. When you think of world religions, we have three that are monotheistic, mono meaning one, theos meaning God. We have three world religions that worship one God, Christianity, Jews, and Muslims. We also have many um, religions that are polytheistic, poly meaning many, the theos there again, many gods. And so our, our Sikh friends, our Hindu friends, our Buddhist friends uh, will have a very difficult time having this d- deep, intimate relationship. If you worship a pantheon of gods where there's a hundred different gods, who do you talk to at any given time, you're not going to have this deep personal relationship. But then you look at the monotheistic religions and you look at Islam and they have this reverence and this awe and this fear for Allah, just like Christians do for our God. But if you have Muslim friends and you talk about a personal, intimate relationship with God, they would look at you funny and go, that's not our God at all. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, we do see Jews having uh, an intimate relationship with God, but it's not about the father. We see Abraham, we see Moses. We went through um, the story of redemption in the book of Exodus throughout the fall. We see David, we see Elijah. They all have intimate relationships with God, but nowhere in all of history is there anything written down before about 30 AD where someone has the audacity to call God their father. But what's so beautiful about this is that we sometimes have family relationships that break down. We have friendships that don't go the way we expect them to do. Things are really difficult at work, but we always have the intimate relationship of being able to go to God the Father and say, Father, here's what happened today. Hallowed means this idea of thanksgiving and praise. The word hallowed means to be set apart. This is beautiful. His name includes an incredible reputation for all that he has accomplished and represents his character and his attributes. I'll repeat that. The name of God includes an incredible reputation for all that he has accomplished and represents his character and all his attributes. This past week, not even talking about my sermon on the Lord's Prayer, Joel and I were just talking about the pastoral prayer. And Joel looked at me and he said, I can't just step up and just start praying for things. I need to praise God for who he is. I totally agree. We stand up and we praise God because he is the God who created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. We praise God for he is the God who rescued the Israelites up out of Egypt. We praise God because he is able to send fire down from heaven. We praise God because he sent his one and only son to cast out demons, heal the sick and raise the dead. We praise God for he is great and glorious and awesome and most worthy to be praised. Your kingdom come. Once we reflect on who God is, we can better approach him. We pray that God's rule and reign would continue to advance, to continue to change the lives of those around us and ours as well. It might be the longest part of our prayer. It's when we pray for ourselves. It's when we pray for our family members, our church, our friends, our workplace, the difficulties that we're going through, our physical health. This is where we say, whether we literally say the words or not, God, but not my will, but yours be done. The daily bread is about a physical provision that God gives to us each and every day. 
the first century audience understands this much better than we do. I'd imagine many of you have homes like mine where there's a little bit of fruit on the counter, there's some food in the pantry, there's food in the fridge, there's food in the deep freeze, and you could get away without going to the grocery store for a whole week. Fruit might not all be there, you might run out of milk, but for the most part, you don't need to depend um, on getting daily provision because it's already there. But the first century is different. The first century, you baked your bread every day. And if you didn't bake your bread, after you came home from a day of manual labor, you bought bread in the marketplace, and at the end of the day, it was gone. But you'll notice if you have Luke 11 in front of you, you also see that second person pronoun, us. Give us this day our daily bread. By God's incredible grace, most of us in this room don't have to think about if we're going to have food on the table this afternoon. But we have many friends who do. There's probably some people in this room who think, Dave, between my mortgage, between the utilities, between regular cost of living, I don't know if I'm gonna put food on the table. We're praying for them. We're praying for the people in Ukraine who don't know where their next meal is gonna come from. We pray for the poor all around the world when we say, give us this day our daily bread. When we get to forgiveness, there's this spiritual need that's met. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, there was, there was probably this moment where we said, God, I believe that I need your forgiveness. And now there's this ongoing repentance that takes place. We pray and we talk to God about, um, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for what we've said that tore people down instead of build people up. Forgive us for the actions we committed. Forgive us for the things that we did that we know we shouldn't have done. Forgive us for the thoughts that we did that we know are not holy and glorifying unto you. And then we receive this beautiful forgiveness, this incredible debt. And we say, God, give us the strength to now go and forgive others when they hurt us with their words, with their actions, and with the things they've done. Finally, you have flee for temptation. And that spiritual protection. For the third time in a row, we see that pronoun, us. And again, it's not just the protection for us. We pray for everybody. We pray for the medical professional who's getting off that 14-hour shift and is absolutely exhausted. We pray for young parents who have a few munchkins at home and they're at their wits end wondering, how can I parent them more effectively? We pray for us when we have a difficult time at work and we think, I don't know if I can put up with my manager or my coworkers or my clients any longer. We pray that we would be able to flee temptation. Jesus' teaching on prayer doesn't just give us an example, though he continues with a second comment that I believe is revolutionary. The second part of our outline this morning, shameless prayer. This is verses five and following. Then Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go out to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. A friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, says Jesus, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. This uh, parable, much like last week's parable, is entirely plausible. We read this and we think a friend shows up in the middle of the night. Is that realistic? Well, think about the Middle East. It's probably mid 40s, maybe even getting into the 50s. And this Middle Eastern sun is beating on your head. And you can't exactly call people ahead or text them and say, hey, I should be arriving about 11 p.m. Make sure you have extra food for me. This man who receives his guests, and it's normal to do so at a late hour, is suddenly has nothing to do. Remember, we literally, uh, nothing to give him. Remember, we just prayed that he would give us our daily bread. 
And when we think about daily bread, whether we bake it or whether we buy it, we come home and we have it for supper. And at the end of the day, there is no fridge, there is no place to put it. And so we quite literally have no food in our home at the end of the day. The third thing to know is that the average house in first century Palestine is about 200 square feet. So it's basically the size of a large bedroom. The entire family is sleeping together. Mom, dad, and however many kids you have. It's amazing they actually have as many kids as they have. Then you also have the uh, place to eat that if it's raining outside, you can go and hang out. So the man is thinking, you're knocking on my door in the middle of the night? You expect me to wake up my entire family to come and help you? I have nothing to offer you. I'm not going to do that. And so that's the context of what's taking place. So, um, but there's some clues along the way as well. You see, this man is embarrassed, but it's not an emergency. If, you're, if you have an emergency, you're gonna rap on your neighbor's door and say, look, my wife hit her head. She's bleeding profusely. Can you please take my kids? I'm in a really bad spot. And your neighbor's probably gonna open the door and welcome your kids in so you can take your wife to a hospital. But you're not gonna knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, buddy showed up from out of town, just arrived on the plane from Vancouver. I knew he was coming at 1230. Do you have some chips and salsa? Is we just want to share a bowl together and hang out. We just want to watch some Netflix, catch up. It'll be great. Second clue. This is a distinct passage. I'm well aware that most of us see the Lord's Prayer. If you hop online, whether YouTube or what have you, and type in the Lord's Prayer, you'll hear entire sermons just on the Lord's Prayer. You'll hear entire sermons on those six portions of the Lord's Prayer. But if you look at Luke 11, 1 to 13, verse 5 is not its own beginning. It's very much a continuation. And so there's this important thing that we need to see where the disciple goes up to Jesus and says, teach us how to pray. I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage and thought about the neighbor. Forget the neighbor. It's not about the neighbor. Jesus is saying, this is how you are to come and to pray. Third clue. The key to this section is in verse 8. The Greek word here is anadea. And the AESV uses impudence. Your translation might say something like boldness or persistent or earnest. This is the only time the word is used in the entire New Testament, but it is used in other Greek literature. Here's what it means. A lack of sensitivity to what is proper. Think the NIV nails it. And rather than trying to get it in two words, pardon me, and rather than getting it in one word, they use two When you pray, go to your neighbor or go to the Father with shameless audacity. And you begin to see how verses one to four and five to eight come together. This will be helpful. The only way shameless prayer works is if a child goes to the Father. The only way shameless prayer works is if a child is going to their Father. If you knock on your neighbor's door and says, hey, I need some chip and salsa, and it's 2 a.m., your neighbor's gonna say, go away. But if you come to their door and you knock hard and with shameless audacity, you say, hey, I need chips and salsa. My friend just came over. They're gonna get up and they're gonna give it to you even if they don't want to. Now you have this example of prayer and you have this shameless prayer. And you might be thinking, Dave, you just talked to us about hallowed be thy name. This reverence, this awe, how does it work together? I'll show you. Imagine you're in England and you go to Buckingham Palace and you're walking around and you think, oh wow, the garden's beautiful. (gasps) 
there's King Charles. And so you walk up to King Charles and you say, Charles, can I call you Chuck? Is that okay? We're buddies, right? This landscaping, beautiful. Your house, immaculate. A little parched. Got a water fountain around here that would really help the tourist whole vibe going on. Those guards are gonna pick you up and remove you from the property real quick. But go back 35 years and William is five and Harry is three. And they go up to their dad. I realize he's not the king at the time. And they say, dad, can I have a drink of water? And their dad who loves them says, yes. This is something, again, 35 years ago, Princess Diana can't even do. If Princess Diana looks at her husband and says, can you get me a drink of water? He might look at her and say, like, are you sick? Can't you get it yourself? Ask one of the servants to get it for you. It's only because of our position as sons and daughters of a great and glorious king that we can walk up to the king of the universe and with shameless audacity ask for whatever we want. It's incredible. But we have one final question to answer. How is God going to respond? For the note takers, This is answered prayer, picking up in verse nine. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So really quick review. And it's an example of how to pray. We approach God, not just as this being who lives in the upper cosmos. We approach him as our heavenly father. And it's a holistic prayer. Pray for whatever you want. Pray for your physical needs. Pray for your spiritual needs. Pray for your soul. Pray for your friends around you. God deeply cares. And pray with shameless audacity. Ask for whatever you want. Why? Because it's our position as sons and daughters of a great and glorious king. And so we can ask for anything we want. We can come to God and we can say, God, can you please help me to have a better job or a better situation than the one I already am? God, can you please help my friends, my family come to know you, love you, and serve you as their king? God, you know that I've been dealing with this back issue forever. Can you please heal me from it? We can also seek discernment. Right now, one of my friends has been offered the lead pastor position at the church that he serves in. And you might think, well, what kind of discernment process is there? My friend really believes God is calling him to be bivocational. But the church has asked him twice to be their lead pastor. And so he's um, talked to me, he's talked to a few other his close friends, and for two weeks we're committed to praying with him as he seeks and discerns, God, what is it that you want me to do? And you knock repeatedly. If your neighbor comes over and knocks once on your door, you might think, oh, something just happened. There was a thud, maybe a picture fell down, maybe your kid jumped off a bunk bed, whatever the case might be. But imagine my wife, her name is Jenna, said to me, Dave, you never tell me you love me anymore. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got married 10 years ago. And on that day in front of a whole bunch of friends and family, I told you I loved you. And she would say, that's not enough. You have to say it to me repeatedly. Now, at first glance, it might look as though God is saying, I'm gonna answer all of your prayers, but that's not the case. Verses 11 to 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Now, verse 11 and 12 might have you scratching your head a little bit. Remember, this is Palestine. Fish and eggs are common everyday um, meals that would take place. Serpents and scorpions, um, rather uh, everyday hazards. So when a child comes and asks for something, that child trusts his father to protect him, to do what is right and keep him from harm. The child is coming to his dad and saying, dad, here's what I need, but you know what is most important for me. Think about what this means. The reason we can come to God with shameless audacity is because we are his sons and daughters. The reason we can ask for whatever we want is because he knows exactly what it is that we need and he responds appropriately. This is incredible. I don't know what prayer looks like at your house around dinner time, but a regular prayer at my house right before supper would go something like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for my family. Thank you for the food. Thank you for the hands that prepared it. Please bless it to our body as, um, as we eat. But when you're five years old, that's not how you pray real prayer circa January 2023. My five-year-old says, Daddy, I'd like to pray today. And I was like, go ahead, sweetheart. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that me and Paisley got to play on the snow hill with Derek and that we were sliding down the snow hill. It was so much fun. Best day ever. Thank you, Jesus, for the water park. Please help Daddy to say yes to taking us to the water park. (laughs) Dad, did you hear that? Thank you for Pooja all the way in India. Thank you for the food, amen. Now, you might sit here and go, that's pretty cute. It is. It's absolutely adorable. It is a beautiful prayer. She comes to God and says, Father, let me tell you about my day. Let me tell you about how me and two of my best friends in kindergarten went on that snow hill. Let me come with shameless audacity and ask for you to tell my dad to take us to the water park. (laughs) Let me tell you about Pooja, the girl we support in India. Give her this day her daily bread. Lord, thank you for our daily bread. Amen. And so what London is doing, my five-year-old, is saying, God, I'm going to come to you with shameless audacity. And this is how five-year-olds pray. And she is going to ask for whatever she wants for because she knows that her father is going to give her what is best. This quote from Timothy Keller might help. Your father gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. Your father gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up on the platform with me. I'm not gonna take my kids to the water park. Sorry, Bex. Because I know that's not really in the budget right now. But I'm gonna put my kids in swim lessons. And tomorrow on family day, we're hoping to hit up a rec center so we can practice the swimming and we're gonna go down slides and we're gonna do some of that fun stuff but it's the same with us. You pray for a promotion at work and you don't get it and you think, God, come on, I was the right person for that job, but God knows that if you got that job, you'd be traveling more or working way more hours and it wouldn't be good for the family. You think about the message last week and the Good Samaritan and you think, God, give me eyes to see the people around me. Give me eyes to see my neighbor. And so God says, I'm gonna show you things beautiful 
And I'm gonna give you opportunities to share the gospel week after week with your neighbor and the people in the grocery store and your coworker over coffee. And you pray and you say, God, please help this relationship with my boyfriend or my girlfriend to work out. And God's saying, I don't want that relationship to work out because I have a better partner for you down the road. And we come to him and we can pray with shameless audacity because he knows everything. And he's gonna take the best part of our prayer, the prayer that is most aligned with his will, and he's gonna say, I'm gonna make that happen. And if it doesn't, he's protecting us and not allowing it to take place. The reason that we can come to a heavenly father with shameless audacity is because he has adopted us as sons and daughters of a great and glorious king. The reason we can come as daughters and sons of a great and glorious king is because of Jesus Christ, the ultimate older brother who says, I am going to make a way so that you can call him dad just like I have the privilege of doing so. And it's through the person of Jesus Christ that we have the immense privilege of coming to the king of the universe and saying, heavenly father, that is awesome. And that is the Lord's prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible invitation. What an honor and privilege it is to be able to pray and to call you Father. Thank you for everything you've done in our lives. Thank you that we get to worship in this building. Thank you that we get to celebrate David and Colton. Thank you that we get to have a long weekend. God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to live and to pray in a way that brings you glory and helps others to see how awesome you are. We pray this in Jesus' holy name, amen.